This is Prem Subramanian. I'm the online content editor for the JNO. And I'm joined today by Deb Friedman, the lead author on the recent paper in the JNO on design considerations for the IIH treatment trial. And Deb, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. And I'll start off by asking you some questions about how you go about designing trials like this. One of the biggest things is picking a primary outcome. And the primary outcome in this trial was the mean deviation on perimetry with a goal of including patients with mild vision loss only. Can you tell us more about how you made a cutoff between mild and moderate visual loss? How in the process of planning do you come to a decision for a major consideration like this? When designing a clinical trial, we need to make sure that we have a fairly uniform group of people to study, and we also need to make sure that our site investigators have equipoise so that when they try to recruit patients to be in a clinical study, they can really make a good case for participation in the trial. So we wanted to study mild vision loss, and We wanted our site investigators to be able to look their patients in the eye, tell them about the study, and say, you know, we've been using acetazolamide for years to treat idiopathic intracranial hypertension, but there's never been a study that's shown that it works, and we really don't know what the best treatment is for your condition. So we did a poll of site investigators at the investigator meeting, uh, and we also surveyed some NANOS members about this. And what we tried to figure out was what the parametric mean deviation value was that would differentiate patients who they would treat medically versus surgically. And the the numbers that came out of that were somewhere between minus 8 and minus 10 dB was the cutoff point where most neuro-ophthalmologists would consider surgical treatment. And so basically, that's how we ended up with a number that was less than minus 8 dB. We initially started with values ranging from minus 2 to minus 5. And at the, at the better end of the scale, minus 2 was selected because our primary outcome measure required that there be improvement in mean deviation. And so when patients were better than minus 2, they really didn't have that much room to improve. And we went to minus 5 because it was what our colleagues told us they would feel comfortable with regarding equipoise. As the trial commenced, we found that recruitment was going a little slower than we thought. And this was for two reasons. One was because for some sites, it just took them a very long time to go through the IRB process and the contracts process. So they were delayed by almost a year in some cases. And also, we found that um, many of the patients who were not eligible for the study had mean deviations that were too good, and that was most of them, or in some cases, just a little too bad. Um, And so we expanded the window to minus 7 dB in order to make our recruitment goal. Excellent. So really an iterative process to come to these sorts of decisions, not a real magic number that you select somewhere. Now, once you get the trial going, I guess one of the biggest challenges is to get consistent data collection and recording to make sure we don't lose data along the way. In this trial, what methods were in place to minimize these sorts of problems? Sure. As you can imagine, there was 
there was a tremendous amount of data that was collected, um, including visual fields, fundus photos, and then regular visit data that went on case report forms. So the visual field data, which was our primary outcome and probably the most important thing, uh, was all managed by the Visual Field Reading Center, which is John Keltner's group. And as you know, he has been in this business for a long time. Uh, he has an excellent group. They have excellent quality control measures already built into their process. And uh, he was able to uh, make a very rapid turnaround reading visual fields. It was his group that actually decided who was eligible to be randomized and who needed additional field testing and which candidates were such poor test takers that they would never be able to give reliable data for a trial. Um, so he was in charge of all of the visual field data. And in fact, he has a paper that I believe is in press in IOVS about his quality control methods. Um, the case report forms were all submitted electronically, and they were monitored by the Data Coordination and Biostatistics Center at the University of Rochester. Uh, this group also has 20-plus years of experience in running clinical trials, uh, so they're very good at what they do. And they had weekly queries of the sites regarding any missing data. And, you know, as with any other trial, probably, we, we learn as we go. And uh, sometimes we find things, even at the end, that just don't make sense, even though the data were submitted. And uh, one example of this, to air our dirty laundry if you want to uh, use it, was um, the lumbar puncture opening pressure. So when it was time to report the results of the trial, in going through the individual uh, records of the participants, we found that some of the numbers that were submitted for the opening pressure just didn't make sense. And it turns out we had asked for those numbers in millimeters of CSF, and some of them were actually submitted and recorded in centimeters of CSF. Uh, so when we went back and queried the sites and confirmed that indeed they were a decimal place off, if you will, um, we had to change those data. Very interesting. So the devil's really in the details with these sure things. Sure is, sure is. And the other things that we did uh, included certification of all of our site photographers and all of our visual field technicians to make sure that they were performing the testing in exactly the same way from site to site. The photographic equipment all had to be certified. And then our safety monitoring process was also quite rigorous. Uh, and I can tell you that I personally looked at every single lab result that came through just to make sure that our patients were kept safe during the course of the trial. Amazing. Now, at the end of it all, did this, designing this study help you think about other studies, like a surgical trial for IIH in the future? Absolutely. And in fact, there is a grant proposal being written as we speak to do a surgical study for patients who have moderate visual loss. Excellent. Well, I was fortunate enough to participate in this trial as a site PI, and I think it was a great study, and I look forward to more of these proposals coming out and encourage our listeners out there to participate in Nordic and to get involved in these types of clinical studies. Thanks for joining us today, Deb. Thank you so much.